0: From Latrobe to Danville, Erie to Lafayette Hill, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, it is often called the deep state, government bureaucracies which impose and enforce regulations outside of the legislative process. David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association is joined by Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation for a Capital Watch look at the impact. And Labor Day is the traditional start of the general election campaign season. I'll have a town hall commentary on why the time has come for John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz to focus on the critical issues facing our nation. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to our Capitol Watch crew in just a couple of minutes, but first, here are news headlines from patownhall.com. The latest efforts by Pennsylvania's Department of State to tinker with the election process has drawn criticism from some county election officials. The Department of State oversees statewide elections, which are run by the counties. Now DOS is proposing a new form that would combine voter registration with a request for a mail-in ballot. Election officials in Dauphin and Bucks counties objected to the form, with Dauphin County officials saying it would, quote, stoke new and undue confusion, concern, and skepticism among voters at a time when it is imperative that we rebuild our trust in the election system, end quote. Mail-in voting was used for the first time in 2020. It has been a lightning rod for controversy and central to ongoing concerns over voter fraud. Employers in Pennsylvania are continuing to struggle with finding enough workers, rising prices, and supply shortages. Add to the mix the difficulty of securing affordable housing for employees. According to the Center Square, the labor issue has, quote, two major themes, an educational system that doesn't push STEM enough or promote trades and manufacturing, and a lack of affordable housing for workers to move for a job, end quote. The affordable housing shortage is especially prevalent in rural parts of the state, which makes it difficult for businesses and manufacturers to attract workers. Schools across the Commonwealth are returning to session. Two lawmakers are using the occasion to push for tougher safety protocols. State Senator Mike Regan, a Republican from Cumberland County, and State Senator Jim Brewster, a Democrat from Allegheny County, are pushing for more schools to consult security experts, and they want a baseline for school safety standards. As well, recent changes to the school code now require active shooter training every year rather than every five years, as was previously mandated. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. Under Governor Tom Wolf, the executive branch of state government has often sought to do by regulation what it can't get done through legislation, dramatically increasing the power of the deep state bureaucracy. Here with a Capital Watch discussion on regulatory reform and government transparency are David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association and Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation. David.
1: And welcome once again to Capital Watch, where we keep an eye on what's happening under the Capitol Dome in Harrisburg for you. I'm your host, David Taylor, President and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. With me, my main man, Steve Bloom, Vice President of Pennsylvania's free market think tank, the Commonwealth Foundation. Steve, thanks for being on the show.
2: David, delightful as always to be here.
1: Well, Steve, I want to share with the listeners your expertise. These are things that we've been talking about recently and as a former lawmaker yourself talking about the the burden of government regulations so again nobody is saying that there shouldn't be rules but that those rules should make sense that they should be based on sound science that they should be you know subjected to some kind of meaningful independent cost benefit analysis to make sure that you know that they're worth the doing as it were and that, that the, the regulatory burden in terms of, of being a weight on the, on the private economy, the ability of people to get things done, that's as real as any other kind of burden, including the, the burden of paying taxes.
2: It's a real cost for any entrepreneur, any person who wants to start an enterprise in order to serve their community in some way, whether it's to sell a product that people need or a service that people want. Uh, to, whether it's to, to create jobs in their community, when you do that, obviously you're up against a lot of costs. These regulations, and obviously, as you said, we all agree that this is a, a society based on the rule of law, and it should be. But what we've seen is the the explosive growth, not of laws, but of regulations. And to make a distinction, laws are what a legislature creates. When I was a state rep, I would vote yes or no on uh, bills that would potentially become new laws of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. but and And the legislature has direct control over those, along with the governor, in terms of passing them, and then the governor either signs or vetoes those bills. But there's this whole other network out there of rules and regulations that are not created directly by the legislature. Instead, the legislature has over the years, and this really began in earnest, in the mid-20th century. It really got bad in the 1960s and 70s, and it has continued so that there is this more more and more massive web of regulations created by administrative agencies, not by lawmakers, but by agencies that have been enabled by laws that the the lawmakers have passed. And, and, And now these agencies are operating independently of the legislature but literally creating rules and regulations that people have to abide by or face all sorts of consequences. And so this has grown and grown, and really, uh, the legislature, and this is not just unique to Pennsylvania, we've seen the same thing on the federal level, in fact. Right. The legislature and the Congress have abdicated a large portion of their responsibility and instead deferred and delegated to these legislative bureaucracies that make decisions that are never held accountable at the polling place, they don't have to go face voters to reconcile the decisions they've made.
1: And, and what also happens is that these various regulatory agencies become staffed by career employees who can withstand changes in administration. And there are a lot of different things that happen whereby the agency itself kind of like takes on a life of its own, and that even a new a new governor can't actually change the course that, um, that these regulatory bodies have set.
2: Yeah, and you, David, you know, sometimes we, we've heard people use the term the deep state, and, and sometimes that's fairly conspiratorial, but in fact there are permanent bureaucracies that exist in government. And although a governor can change the, the secretary of a particular agency at his or her will, uh, the, the the employees down below that secretary, secretary in the chain often are civil servants who can't be yeah, taken in or out of, of until they're ready to retire. Yeah. And so they stay forever, and they can withstand a, a, an administrator that's – or a, uh, a governor, for example, that's trying to bring true reforms to the process by just hunkering down and right. waiting four years or eight years yeah. until that governor's gone and then going back to the business as usual yeah. that they used to do, which in many cases – is interfering with the ability of our business people in Pennsylvania, our mom-and-pop shops, our small and medium-sized businesses, and even our larger businesses, from being successful and, in in some cases, dissuading them from ever even coming to Pennsylvania or opening a business here.
1: And and those rules just keep getting piled on, that there doesn't seem to be any systematic way that government goes back and reviews what's been passed before to ask, well, did this work the way that we intended it to? Did it have unintended consequences? Uh, do we still need it? Did it do what we wanted it to do? And now that's no longer necessary. In the course of the of the the pandemic shutdown, there were a lot of regulations that were waived. And so, well, if we just showed that we can, in fact, get by without that particular set of rules, why should we reinstate them? Like, let's just leave them off permanently.
2: And, and thinking about it, in Pennsylvania, we have upwards of 30 separate administrative agencies. Now, you might think of a few when you think about what are the agencies in government, you would right. think, oh, the Department of Health and Human Services, the the, uh, the, de- the department Pendot, the Department of Revenue, Department of Labor and Industry, the Department of Environmental Protection. You think of a few of these, but there's thirty more than thirty. Mm. And then on top of that, there's multiple, somewhere near seventy different state commissions and and um, bureaus that are created that are not full agencies, but are still separate, little independent uh, regulatory bodies that that have an impact on everyday life. For millions of Pennsylvanians every day.
1: For those states that have addressed this challenge, what have they done? What are some of the solutions that you would look to?
2: It's like so many other issues. Uh, it's not a even though the problem we're talking about is in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is not alone in the in the system that these over over regulations by bureaucracies cause. Yeah. So we have to compete with our surrounding states, just like with tax law, for example. If States around us create a more favorable tax environment. They will attract the business and investment to their states at the expense of Pennsylvania. Same thing we're seeing here with uh, states aggressively trying to improve their regulatory environment, while in Pennsylvania, we continue to make ours worse. We now have upwards of 160,000 regulations here in Pennsylvania Good grief. You know, governing the minutiae of, of people's lives in, in so many ways. But if you look at, for example... Um, Talk about a few different states, uh, both Idaho and Rhode Island uh, created legislation that in fact caused uh, their entire regulatory codes to be sunset so that they had to start fresh Wow so instead of these antiquated laws from seventy eighty years ago or, or rules and regulations from seventy or eighty years ago still impacting businesses today, they started over Wipe So the slate you had to clean. justify each each organization wow you have you have um, states like Florida, where the the governor has been pushing hard for legislators if they're going to enact any new regulations or any new laws that empower regulations to, inqu- to require sunset provisions in those laws. So again, they go away in the future and can be reconsidered instead of lasting forever like zombies. The uh, North Carolina sunset review process as well, uh, Florida and Wisconsin, another, I've mentioned Florida, but they both also have legislative veto provisions so that the, the the lawmakers themselves can veto new regulations rather than them automatically becoming law without any sincere input from the legislature wow so these are examples for Pennsylvania that we can do
1: better you're listening to Capital Watch. I'm your host, David Taylor from Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. With me, Steve Bloom from Commonwealth Foundation. Again, talking about how to address the, the burden of regulation to make sure that the rules make sense. Because one of the things that, I mean, it just infuriates you to know that a lot of these, a lot of these violations of rules are just, they're like, they're paperwork mistakes or that they're process mistakes you get up in the morning and do you go sock shoe sock shoe or do you go sock sock shoe shoe like well it it doesn't matter it shouldn't matter but if the government regulations say you have to do it one way and you happen to do it the other way well then you're you're at fault you're going to get fined and i i would say the most important thing is that the the societal good that comes from regulations i would argue is compliance right with those rules that the government sets these rules says you got to obey these rules and when people do that that's the outcome that we want but it, the attitude a lot of these regulatory bodies is not to be a partner in compliance to help people to comply that instead there's this gotcha mentality of trying to you know to catch people in the act and to to lay down a bunch of fines it also creates a revenue stream for the you know for the regulatory bureaucracy too so it's kind of like in their interest to treat people that way and it's like that, that to me is a big part of the problem and it also speaks to that sort of independent life of these regulatory bodies that, that renders them unaccountable.
2: You know, before I joined the Commonwealth Foundation, I had served in, in the State House for a number of years, but before that, I spent the bulk of my career in the private sector, in law practice, helping small business people and medium-sized business people start their enterprises, structure their enterprises, do their you know purchases of, of real estate, get land use approvals to build buildings, all those things that a business has to do in its natural life cycle, of course, uh, tax compliance, all, the, all those, those, those uh, administrative parts of of being an entrepreneur. And I worked with clients who were contacting me because they needed help. And the reason that they needed help in dealing with these bureaucracies was because these, bureaucrac- these bureaucracies were hostile toward them, treating them almost like criminals, uh, guilty before you could even you could even uh, Give them an, have an opportunity to have your story heard, they would get notices that they had to pay fines or notices that they had to pay more in taxes without any real explanation, notices that they, they, their building would be delayed because some township board decided to defer it for another four weeks while, while their their construction equipment sat idle. Mm. Things that were, were just impacting small businesses consistently day in, day out. And it's, it's sad and infuriating because, like you said, David, So many of these are not urgent, life-saving regulations. They're just somebody's whim about how something should be done in order to satisfy the the bureaucratic appetite for boxes to be checked and and papers to be sent in and all these these, uh, pro forma activities with real-world consequences for the entrepreneur on the other end.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of petty tyranny. And that, and again, it goes to that larger question of, are we a free people? Do we work for the government or does the government work for us? And you know, a lot of times with the lack of accountability with these entrenched bureaucracies, does, it does feel like, like we work for them rather than the other way around. And you look to some of the solutions that one of the things that I've always thought was a good idea was regulatory budgeting. There's a saying in business, if you show me what you measure, I'll show you what you value, and that the idea that government can continue to impose these kinds of burdens on the private economy through regulations and that nobody... Nobody tallies up the cost. Nobody goes and says, okay, well, this rule is going to to cost this much in the aggregate for society to comply. And then to total all those up together. How many regulations did you say?
2: 160,000?
1: 160,000. And it's like... Nobody knows how much that total cost is beyond the fact that it's enormous. Like why don't we have a budget to say all right, let it, we can start we'll just start with today. We'll start with today like that the total regulatory burden on the economy is is x and if you want to to add something new you've got to take something else away. You know, just to try to balance the scale, try to right size things. I mean, of course, the the proper thing to do would be to to just like you was saying that we're done in Idaho and Rhode Island, just like wipe the slate clean, start over and and make sure that the rules that we have in place, that they make sense, that they're based on sound science, that they're they're worth the doing in terms of the costs that they impose versus the, the good that results.
2: Unfortunately, there is some good news. I mentioned some other states that are really taking sincere action to reduce this, 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 this terrible burden of unnecessary bureaucracy. Yeah. But um, we're seeing some progress here in Pennsylvania as well, at least the beginning stages of it. And um, I'll credit, for example, Senator Kristen Phillips Hill. She has introduced a bill that is a comprehensive regulatory reform package that includes creating a new office. And it's a little bit ironic because a, a new office has to be created yes. to get rid of these bureaucracies, but it's it's unfortunately the way it would have to be done. But an office called the Office of the Repealer, the sole job of that office would be to review regulations and determine if they were still necessary. And if not, get rid of them. Yes. Literally repeal them. Yes. So uh, that would be a, an extremely favor- favorable development. Uh, her bill also would, would, as you were talking about, it would review economically significant regulations, those that have a specific, measurable economic impact. Uh, it would allow for legislative repeal in a, in a simple procedural process of existing regulations, and would also appoint a regulatory compliance officer who would almost be like an ombudsman for the businesses and individuals who have to deal with these regulatory agencies. Yes, we have a bill called it's known as the Rains Act. It was it's sponsored by. Representative Don Kiefer, it would require regula- legislative approval of any regulation over $1 million in impact. And that one actually, she got that through the House. It, it's uh, still in the Senate now, but uh, progress being made there. Yeah, sure. There's a number of, of legislators who have stepped up with with good, solid, constructive proposals to begin paring down this this burdensome, uh, intrusive, destructive Abundance of regulations that we have here in Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, and there are actually there are two other issue areas that I wanted to to bring up with you, Steve, to get your thoughts that just I mean, to me, it seems so obvious. Number one, that unless there's a specific Pennsylvania reason, Pennsylvania regulations should not be stricter than federal regulations. You know that that would be just a, a good principle to apply across the board. And and more than that. That Pennsylvania should never be bound by regulations promulgated in another state. There are areas of Pennsylvania law where where we are bound by what, you know, what California decides. It's like, well, that's – insane. We didn't vote for them, and Pennsylvania is not California, and there's no way that what they want would necessarily be applicable to us, that Pennsylvania rules should be, you know, should be enacted by Pennsylvania lawmakers.
2: And you often see the federal government in particular using its muscle to force this integration of their regulatory bureaucracy with the state's regulatory bureaucracy in ways that are, again, destructive and burdensome. Uh, they, for example, there's there's uh, in the uh, whole arena of environmental protection, there are a number of regulations that were disputed by Pennsylvania's Department of, of Environmental Protection, and ultimately the DEP caved to the feds, but the um, legislature has not, and, and just recently the uh, Energy and Environmental Protection Committee attempted to sort of confront or vote down these regulations, and it's created a bit of a, a stir because now the federal government is literally threatening Pennsylvania that they will withhold somewhere in the neighborhood of half a billion dollars worth of funding that was going to be released if the state rolled over and capitulated. Mm-hmm. So you see this 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 bullying almost yeah, by the coercion. federal government against states.
1: Well, and it's and again it makes a mockery of the whole premise of the American experiment that we are a self-governing people and to have these mandarins in Uh, in these various bureaucracies just um, you know as as you said before Steve you know at their whim um, you know making people dance to their tune just you know just because they can like that's that's not acceptable so we will we will continue to monitor all this and um, and support our legislative champions who some of whom you named who are working on this and trying to you know trying to set things right try to rebalance all of this so that again that Pennsylvania that we can get our fair share of the national prosperity and that, uh, you know, the Pennsylvania's economic growth, um, you know, shouldn't be just a a fraction of the national average. There's no reason why we can't be one of those high performing states. So anyway, well, we're out of time here. But Steve, please tell the listeners where they can go to learn more about you and the work that you do.
2: The best place to visit is CommonwealthFoundation.org on the web
1: outstanding. And as ever, you can find me online at pamanufacturers.org and on the Pennsylvania Cable Network on Sunday mornings at 8:30 with PMA Perspective. So from Steve and me, thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you next
0: time on Capital Watch. And now, a town hall commentary from Loman Henry. Thank you, David. Labor Day weekend is the traditional start of the general election campaign season. That's a bit of a quaint relic as campaigns are now never-ending and certainly residents of Penn's Woods have been bombarded by political ads throughout the summer. It is, however, time to get serious. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by retiring Senator Pat Toomey, begins his campaign ads paying homage to the seriousness of this election. But then he talks about how many homes his opponent owns and engages in pithy but irrelevant social media posts about what to call a plate of vegetables. Absent is any mention of the kitchen table issues that impact most voters. With inflation running at an historic high level and an economic recession looming, if not already in progress, folks are more concerned about whether they can afford to buy vegetables rather than what you call them. Voters will not get real answers to serious issues from either television ads or social media posts. What is needed are one-on-one forums, debates, if you will, between the candidates. As the campaign season officially launches, no debates have been agreed to, either between U.S. Senate candidates or the candidates seeking to replace Tom Wolfe as governor. This brings us back to John Fetterman. His Republican opponent, Dr. Mehmet Oz has called for a series of five debates, including forums to be hosted by legacy media outlets, which is not always a level playing field for conservatives. Fetterman has not committed to even one face-to-face forum. In fact, Fetterman has been largely absent from the campaign trail since suffering a stroke days before the primary election in May. He has appeared in public only a few times in carefully controlled circumstances and with no availability to the news media. Worse, his performance on those occasions was, to be kind, unsteady. Questioning Fetterman's health has become somewhat of a third rail in Pennsylvania politics. While we all wish the lieutenant governor a return to good health, he is a major party candidate for an office that could determine the ultimate balance of power in the U.S. Senate for the next two years. This makes the cone of silence surrounding his condition untenable, and the media's refusal to hold him accountable – journalistic malpractice. For his part, Fetterman has been less than transparent about his health condition. He suffered a stroke the Friday before primary election day, but his campaign did not disclose his condition, during which Fetterman himself said he almost died until two days later. This has given rise to questions about whether his office properly followed the state's governor and lieutenant governor disability law. That law is designed to ensure continuity in executive leadership in the event the governor and or lieutenant governor become incapacitated, which clearly Fetterman was for a period of time. State Senator David Argyll is chairman of the Senate State Government Committee. He has requested, twice, details from Fetterman on what happened in the hours and days following his stroke. Fetterman, with the aid of other senior Democrats, have stonewalled the investigation which is attempting to ascertain if the law is effective. To his credit, Fetterman ultimately released a letter from his doctor detailing his history of health problems. But there has been a lack of updates for months, with virtually no questioning by the news media, which undoubtedly would make such behavior a major issue, were it Dr. Oz, who spent three months under wraps. All this makes it even more important for John Fetterman to take to the debate stage with Mehmet Oz. Appearing in a series of debates, Fetterman can dispel any lingering questions about his health and whether he can physically perform the duties of the office he is seeking. More importantly, there are serious issues that need addressed. The economy is top on voters' minds. Energy is a major Pennsylvania industry, and the candidates have disparate views on the sector. Foreign affairs, including the impact of the devastating surrender in Afghanistan, the war in Ukraine— and the growing geopolitical threat posed by China are all issues we need the candidates to address. We are entering the campaign's homestretch with little insight as to where the candidates stand on these and other critical issues. Summer is over, so it is time for everyone to put on their big boy pants and begin addressing the serious issues which confront our state and nation. With a town hall commentary, I'm Loman Henry. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, lincolnradiojournal.com and lincolninstitute.org. For 27 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including FM, WKMCAM, and and WBXQ-FM, all in Altoona, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Houston Foundation of Coatesville All of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal. Plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.